Well, good morning. My name is Dwayne, and welcome to Directional Bible Ministries, a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Hope you're doing well today. Today is August the 16th, so uh, today we're going to uh, continue our study through the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to start out, we're going to back up to Galatians chapter 2, uh, because Galatians chapter 2 is Paul's accounting of what happened here in um, Acts chapter number 15 with the infamous um, council uh, at Jerusalem. So let's go ahead and uh, <clears throat> open our Bibles to um, Galatians chapter 15, but also have your finger there in Galatians chapter 2, verse number 10. And we're just going to read this. This is Paul's accounting of what happened to for to the for the Galatians in regards to the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter number fifteen. So, in Galatians chapter number two, <clears throat> just read it. We read we read it one time, but I do want to read it again and just kind of talk about it. In Galatians chapter two, uh, verse number one. Then fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, um, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. And bear in mind what Paul is wanting to do here. It says he went up by revelation. In the book of Acts, it says that the Council of Jerusalem, um, not the Council of Jerusalem, but the Church of Antioch, had recommend that Paul go up to the to the Jerusalem church and explain what was happening among the Gentiles. Either way, it was by revelation, either revelation by him or revelation by the church at Antioch. Some would say that the proper rendering of that phrase would be, I went up because of the revelation. And of course, the revelation would be that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, referring to the mystery. Um, the hidden mystery. Um, so, but either way, he went up by revelation and communed unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, uh, but privately to them which were of reputation. And of course, he's speaking there of the twelve uh, in Jerusalem, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. And here's the crux of the matter. Um, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And of course, what it was that caused this council of Jerusalem was there was no doubt that Paul was preaching a gospel to the Gentiles, but the Jewish believers and unbelievers, both of them, those who had rejected the kingdom gospel or had accepted the kingdom gospel, were saying that these new believers needed to be circumcised. They needed to fall under the law of Moses. And that, because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. In other words, trying to put the new believers into um, back under the law of Moses. And of course, here he mentions false brethren unawares. But we read, we we read, we already read in the book of Acts that some of them were believing Pharisees. So. So not only were the unbelieving Jews trying to get them to go under the law of Moses, but also even the believing Jews were trying to get them to go back under the law of Moses, especially in regards to uh, circumcision. 
to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue in, in you. In other words, we didn't relent, we didn't submit uh, to this request that they start circumcising them. But of those who seem to be somewhat, whosoever they are, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person, for they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Now, when you first read that, it, it almost sounds like Paul is being a little bit, uh, I don't know, belligerent, a little bit arrogant maybe. I mean, that's the way it kind of smacks. Uh, but, but all he's saying here is that the revelation that he had received in regards to the gospel of grace, the 12 did not add anything to it or did not give anything to him. He received this mystery from the Lord himself. He did not receive it from the 12, which were at Jerusalem. That's all he's trying to say there. And he says, but contrarywise, when they saw the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel was committed and as the gospel of the circumcision was committed unto Peter. So he's saying the the end result of the Council of Jerusalem is they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed to me. And then notice as the gospel of the circumcision was committed unto Peter. And of course he's talking about the two gospels there. He's talking about the gospel of grace that was committed to him for those of the uncircumcision and the gospel of the kingdom that was committed to Peter for the circumcision. And he says, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the, to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. In other words, God was working through both Peter and myself, me to the Gentiles, Peter to the Jews. And when James and Cephas and John, and Cephas is Peter, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me Barnabas, me and Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, that we should go into the heathen and they into the circumcision. So here we see the end result of the Council of Jerusalem that we're studying in Acts chapter number 15. The end result is that James and Peter and John, they perceived that they would continue to go to the circumcision, and that we, me and Barnabas, we would continue to go to the uncircumcision, the Gentile. Only they would that we should remember the poor the same, which I also was forward to do. Uh, he doesn't go into great detail there in regards to the letter that was penned as a result of James's final words at the Council of Jerusalem, but he just continues on, and all of a sudden he's, he's dealing with Peter again in the book of Galatians. So let's go back to Acts, uh, Acts chapter number 15, and um, let's pick up in verse number 12. This is where we picked up last Monday, and again, I'm sorry for the technical glitch there, but I'm glad you guys can hear now. It's good to be heard. Um, so, so notice here, in, in ch chapter number 15, um, we have, um, you know, they're in Jerusalem, um, and, um, of course we know that Peter, uh, stands up in verse number seven after Paul explains to them why they're there. And Peter feels compelled to stand up and share what God had done with him to the Gentiles for the Gentiles. And Peter references back to, um, Cornelius in chapter number 10. 
And he says, and when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said to them, men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Okay, and of course, Peter is referring to the gospel of the kingdom. And he says, and God, which knoweth the hearts, bear witness of them, giving them the Holy Ghost as he did unto us. And as you remember, when Peter had began to preach the gospel of the kingdom to Cornelius, uh, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And it wasn't until later that they were baptized, which was indeed a break in the pattern because from Pentecost up until Cornelius, when the gospel was preached, they had to repent and be baptized, then receive the Holy Spirit. But something was different when he spoke to Cornelius in chapter number 10, who was a Gentile, and his whole household, those who were with him, because as soon as he believed, he received the Holy Spirit. So there was something different there. So Peter is saying here, God who by my mouth should hear the gospel and believe, and God knows the hearts and bear the witness, and he gave them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And he put no difference between us and them, and he purified their hearts by faith. In other words, he gave them the same gift that he gave us. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God? And, of course, when he says, why tempt ye God, he's referring to uh, the Jews who were insisting that the Gentiles uh, come under the law of Moses, starting with circumcision. To put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. I mean, we wasn't even able to keep the law. Now we're going to stick it around somebody else's neck. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. And which we, that was highly significant to me because you can see that Peter is recognizing that this is indeed a new dispensation. Because he ends his words with, um, we will be saved even as they. We shall be saved even as they. I believe that Peter, for the first time, understood that the kingdom might be postponed. Um, and he understands that the gospel that Paul is preaching is valid and that Jew and Gentile alike moving forward were going to be saved under that gospel. I believe this is an acknowledgement by Peter in that regard. Now, look in verse number 12. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. Now, after Peter's final words, Peter, uh, Barnabas and Paul interject one more thought in regards to the work that God had been doing among the Gentiles. And then James steps in. And after they had held their peace, James answered them, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, who hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles, to take out of them a people for his name. Notice <clears throat> that he says, after they had held their peace. And of course, they referring to the previous speakers, Peter um, and, um, and Barnabas and Paul. James, and of course this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, the other James had already been put to death here, and he seems to be the moderator of the meeting here, and he answered and said, men and brethren, hearken unto me, and now he's going to recount what Peter had already said in regards to Cornelius, 
Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And no doubt, as we study through the book of Acts, we've already seen that the first Gentiles to be offered salvation were indeed Cornelius and all of them which heard the word with him that day when Peter preached. And notice, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles. Now, understand the context here. James is not talking about Paul's ministry. He instead is further elaborating on Peter's, specifically in regards to the conversion of Cornelius. And notice in verse number 15, And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. Now, James is going to reach back into the Old Testament to justify prophetically what Peter, what happened with Peter. And he says, he's going to quote the prophet Amos. After this, I will return and I will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon them, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord who doeth these things. Now, um, what he's what what James is doing, he is simply saying that it has always been in God's plan to reach the Gentiles, specifically in God's plan to reach the Gentiles through the Jews, and he, of course, Peter had done that. Peter had taken the gospel to the Gentiles. To Cornelius, and he quotes from Amos chapter number nine. <clears throat> in Amos chapter number nine, verse number eleven, it says, <clears throat> "In that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen." Now, when he says "in that day," he's referring to this is kingdom language. This is referring to in the kingdom. In that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen, and I will close up the breach the breaches thereof. And I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it again, as in the days of old. Um, and they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all of the heathen which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this. So Amos is speaking of the kingdom that would come. For both, in regards to both the Jew and the Gentile. Now, I've already talked about this. The kingdom is Jewish. It's not Gentile. The kingdom is for the Jew. It's not for the, for the church. The kingdom is, is earthly. Our home is heavenly. The Jews are a physical, earthly people. We are a heavenly, spiritual people. We are, our inheritance is always talked about in the heavens, not upon the earth. And to make it that our promises are earthly and that the kingdom is for us is to bring us into the Jewish promises and really to give the what was promised to the Jew to the Gentile. Uh, and we have to be very careful with that because dispensationally, there is always the prophetic program. There is always the mystery program. The prophetic program deals with the Jews. The mystery program deals with the church and they are separate. And notice, 
in in Amos chapter nine verse number twelve it says, "And they may possess the remnant of Edom." And that that verse has caused a little bit of confusion, uh, because when James quotes from this verse, he doesn't say the remnant of Edom. He says the residue of men. So which one is it? Well, obviously, if James is correcting or correctly quoting uh, Amos chapter 9, verse number 12, then I'm going to go with James. Because if you look at the verse, um, Amos is saying the remnant of Edom, and James is saying the residue of men. Why would he do that? They do not appear to be the same. What it is, is in our English translation, Edom and Adam are the same word in the Hebrew. James seems to have quoted it the more accurate way when he says the residue or the remnant of Adam or mankind. So either way, what James is saying is that um, there is going to be salvation for the remnant or the residue of Adam, which is us. <laughs> We're all the remnant of Adam. It's beyond just the Jewish people. Uh, so James is speaking of the kingdom when salvation has come to the whole world through the Jewish nation and the Jewish Messiah. And then notice in verse number 18, known unto God are all his works from the beginning uh, of the world. In other words, what he's saying here is that either way, whether it's through the preaching of the kingdom, through Peter, or if it's the preaching of the grace through Paul, God knows what he's doing and the Gentiles will be reached. That's what James is saying in a nutshell there. And he says in verse number 19, wherefore my sentence is. So now James, after he's heard what Paul and Barnabas has to say, after he's heard what Peter has to say, he says, wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. So James is giving his summation of what needs to be done in regards to the Gentiles that come to faith. And it's obvious from what he says in the next verses that he is referring to the Gentiles who come to faith through the preaching of Paul, which is the gospel of grace, because it is all about them not keeping the law. The Jews kept the law. And that is a common misperception that I, I've taught and that I've heard for all of my ministry, you know, that after Pentecost, uh, the Jewish people were freed from the law. They no longer kept the law. You can't get that from reading the book of Acts. They still went up to the temple at the hour of prayer. They still went and heard the law of Moses in the synagogues. They still uh, participated in the temple worship. Um, you just can't get that. Um, and again, we get that from that belief that Acts chapter 2 was all about the birth of the body of Christ, the birth of the church. You just can't get that because they still continued the law. They still continued to preach repentance and baptism for salvation. That message never changed for the apostles. It was not until Paul and the revelation of the mystery that he began to preach that grace gospel, which is simply belief in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, if any man could speak to this matter, it was certainly James. 
considering he had already, or some would say, was getting ready to write the book of James. His entire epistle is about uh, kingdom believers that were required to keep the law. Read the book of James. And, you know, this is a revelation to many. The book of James is not written to the church. I mean, simply, I mean, if you go over into James chapter number one, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes. Um, you know, which tribe are you from? I'm not from any of the tribes. I'm not Jews. And this is where we get all these, these cults in the United States talking about that we are the real Hebrews. Um, have you ever heard that before? Why are they getting that? It's replacement theology. It is saying that Israel has been replaced by the church and they are no longer the quote Jews, but we are. Um, again, I believe that's heretical teaching. James was not written for us. Now remember the entire written, the entire New Testament was written for us, but it was not written to us. The entire Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi is written to the Jews. It's not written to the Gentiles, written for us, for our edification. And I can teach through books that were not written to me, just as I can preach through books that were written for me. So again, it's just a misconception. We need to understand who the speaker is and who the audience is because it greatly affects the interpretation of what is being said. So everything that comes out of James's mouth here in James chapter one, verse number one, is from James to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. These 12 tribes were scattered. He's writing from them. And I believe that scattering that he's speaking of is the persecution that happened under the apostle Paul. So we need to remember that. And then go back into Acts chapter number 15. Now look in verse number 20. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogue every Sabbath day. So James is going to go on after considering the matter and he is going to recommend that the Gentiles not have to be circumcised for salvation, that the Gentiles do not have to come under the law of Moses. But he is going to recommend some things that uh, he believes will be good. So he's going to recommend these things because they were highly offensive to the Jews. In other words, he deemed that these things would be a stumbling block if the Gentiles continued to do them in front of of their brethren, the Jews. Okay. Um, he believes that these things would serve as a distraction if Paul and those who responded to the grace gospel were to violate them in front of the Jews. Paul spoke to this in 1 Corinthians 8, 13, when he says, wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will not, I will eat no flesh while my, while the world standeth lest I make my brother to offend. It's the same principle. Uh, James is just saying these things will cause our brethren to be offended if we, if we do them in front of them. Okay? Um, 
So there's still a principle here, a principle for all time. It doesn't matter what it is. We don't do things that knowingly causes our brethren to be offended. We just don't do that. It's not Christ-like. It's, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, and Paul spoke to that. I, I became all things to all men that I might win some. So if my meat offend, then I will not eat meat, is what Paul said. And that's exactly what James is saying here. These things are offensive to the Jews, so we're going to encourage the, gen the new Gentile believers un that are coming to faith under the preaching of Barnabas and Paul to not violate these things lest they cause a stone of stumbling in front of their brothers. Now notice in verse number 22, then it pleased, then it then pleased it the apostles and the elders and the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch. Um, I feel like I've missed something. No, I guess I haven't. Okay. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas named Barsabas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. So here we see a bit of congregational style government here. Um, you know, if you've ever taken any churches on any courses on ecclesiology, you're going to go through the book of Acts many times wrongly so. Uh, but here you do see some some congregational style government here because it pleased the apostles, the elders, and the whole church. In other words, they made a congregational decision. They were all behind what was getting ready to happen here. Second, we are introduced to Silas for the first time. He would become very important to Paul in his next missionary journey, which would begin in verse number 36. Um there will be a dispute that's going to happen between Paul and Barnabas in regards to John Mark. And Silas is going to go with Paul, and John Mark is going to go with Barnabas. This verse is also notable because it makes it very clear that the twelve were in agreement with Paul and the grace gospel that he taught to both Jew and Gentile. And understand, while the kingdom gospel was specifically targeted at Jews, there were still Gentiles like Cornelius who embraced it, who believed it, and were therefore proselytized into Judaism. The grace gospel was primarily taught to the Gentile initially, but there were Jews that embraced it, okay, who became a part of the church, the body of Christ. This is apparent, obvious, apparently obvious, because notice that they also sent Judas named Barsabas and Silas, chief men among the brethren with them. Why did they send, decide to send Silas and Judas with them? <clears throat> These guys were obviously kingdom believers. They had not come to faith under Paul's preaching. They had come to faith under Peter's preaching. <clears throat> so, but it's obvious that they had embraced what Paul was preaching. Uh, and I believe that even the apostles embraced what Paul was preaching. It doesn't mean that they began to preach what Paul was preaching. There's no evidence that they ever did preach the grace gospel at all. As a matter of fact, in Peter's writings, he, he spoke of Paul and how Paul preached things that were hard to understand. But listen to him. 
you know. Uh, so they're sending Barnabas and Paul, uh, Barnabas and Silas, or, Bar, or Judas and Silas with them so that they can confirm everything that was said at the council at Jerusalem. Now notice verse 23. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, the apostles, the elders, the brethren, send greeting unto the brethren, which are in, of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. And of course, Antioch was a predominantly Gentile church in Antioch of Syria. Um, and they're sending these letters and it says, for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you. And that's referring to the believing Jews that had went out and told the Gentile believers that they needed to be circumcised. They needed to fall under the law of Moses. So they're acknowledging that and they're saying, for as much as, as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. So they're letting the Gentile believers know, starting in Antioch, that these Jews that are saying this are not saying this upon our authority. We didn't tell them to say this. Okay. And as we've been teaching through the book of Acts, we have to understand you'll never adequately grasp the book and the significance of the book if you do not realize that it is a book of transition. We are transitioning from the Jerusalem church to the Antioch church. We are transitioning from a, from a, a Jewish fellowship to a Gentile fellowship. We are transitioning from Peter to Paul. And we've already seen Peter's very last words. He will never be he will never speak again in the book of Acts after the Council of Jerusalem. It becomes all about Paul. It is a transition from Peter to Paul. It is a transition from the gospel of the kingdom, which was preached day one, John the Baptist, repent, be baptized, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, to belief in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the grace gospel. It's a book of transition. If you miss it, you're, you're not going to understand the book of Acts adequately. Acts chapter one through nine is all about, and I would say even beyond, Acts chapter one through 13 is all about the Jews. It's all about the gospel of the kingdom. Peter preached the gospel of the kingdom to Cornelius in chapter number 10. The first part of the book of Acts is all about the Jews, the believing Jews, the kingdom Jews that were still looking for <clears throat> the second coming of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom <clears throat> in their lifetime. They felt that it was imminent. And we need to remember that when we read the writings of Peter, when we read the writings of John in what we call the Hebrew epistles, Hebrews through Revelation. And why do we call them the Hebrew epistles? Because they were written to the Hebrews. <laughs> they fully expected in their lifetime for Christ to return and establish his kingdom. That never changed. It started in the Gospels. When, when they said, will you at this time restore the kingdom? 
Well, when you come into your kingdom, can my son sit on your right, sit on your left? And as they returned from Capernaum back into Jerusalem, they suddenly expected the kingdom to appear. That never changed. They always expected the kingdom. When when Peter stood up and preached at Pentecost, he was legitimately offering the Jewish nation the kingdom. If they would but repent and be baptized. In other words, in believe the message of the king, they would receive the kingdom. But they rejected it. They rejected it. They blasphemed the Holy Spirit, which Jesus spoke of in the Gospels. And at that point, God raised up the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter number 9. Later on, gave him the revelation of the mystery that the kingdom was going to be postponed. And that salvation was going to come to the Gentiles through this grace gospel instead of through the Jewish nation. And you have to understand that before you roll into Romans chapter number one. If you don't understand that, you are going to end up in covenant theology. If you don't understand that, you are going to end up in replacement theology. If you don't adequately understand that, or you're going to end up with this hodgepodge theology that most of my Baptist brethren have fallen into which is an amalgamation of the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace just shoved all together. And it's confusing because in one sentence, they say you need to repent and you need to be baptized. But in the next sentence, they'll say, but it's by faith through grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. Friend, that's a contradiction. It's either law or it's grace, but it's not both. Read the book of Galatians and why Paul wrote it. Because they were... They were taking the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of the grace and putting it into one and making no gospel at all. And that's pretty much where most of the evangelical church is in the United States. Confused. So, notice in verse number 25. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall tell, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. Um, in, in other words, Judas and Silas are eyewitnesses to what has happened in Jerusalem. You don't have to take just Paul and Barnabas's word for it. You have. Silas and Judas, who will confirm everything that happened here in Jerusalem at the council. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> this is what the council in Jerusalem, the 12, the A apostles, not the B apostles or the C apostles, but this is what the A apostles have determined. So they're sending these guys along as eyewitnesses. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than necessary things. Again, these things, these things that are, are considered to be necessary, not necessary for salvation, but necessary in that you don't offend your Jewish brethren. You know, Paul said, uh, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Um, we need, Paul wrote to the Romans and said, remember your weaker brother. 
if you offend your weaker brother, you're sinning. And that's all he's saying here. These things are necessary <clears throat> because he goes on and he says, he says, <clears throat> for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Okay. And um, look at verse 29, that you abstain. Now he's going to list the things that they need to stay away from lest they offend their Jewish brothers. You need to stay away from meats that have been offered to idols. You need to stay away from blood. You need to stay away from things that are strangled. And you need to stay away from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, you will do well, fare you well. No, it's not going to bring salvation, but it'll bring peace and accord within the believers, both Jew and Gentile. So these things, all of these, abstaining from meats, offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and fornication. Now, the next question would be, why these things? Well, in regards to meats, Paul addressed this further in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verse number 14, 13, uh, when he talked about how that um, the issue was with the Jewish believers uh, that if something had been offered to an idol, uh, they couldn't eat it. They wouldn't eat it. They felt defiled if they ate it. But to others, they it didn't bother them. They didn't care whether it had been offered to an idol or not. But Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 8, 4, 8, 4, if don't knowingly do it in front of a brother, if you know it's going to cause him to stumble or it's going to offend him. That's all Paul's talking about there in 1 Corinthians in chapter number 8. Um, and then in regards to blood, it's about the sanctity of life. In Leviticus 17, 14, for it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it is the life thereof. Therefore, I said unto the children of Israel, you shall eat of the blood of no manner of flesh for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it will be cut off. So the eating the blood was something that was forbidden in the Old Testament under Levitical law. And they said it would be best if you not eat things, um, you shouldn't eat things with the blood in it. And then strangulation. Um, some see this as a violation of that sanctity of life and that normally when the Jews killed something, they would let it out. They would cut its throat, let it bleed out. Strangling is a, is like murder. I mean, it's, you're killing it with, with the blood still in it. Uh, so in other words, it's a violation of that sanctity of life. In regards to fornication, this spoke of all sexual sin. Uh, so the council simply believed that if the Gentiles would guard against these things, it would make their ministry easier and fellowship between the two would not be hindered. I do this all the time. You know, when I go to a church that has a particular bent or uh, belief or set of beliefs that I don't necessarily agree with, I'm not going to preach on those things. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to kind of avoid those things. It's not that I'm compromising. It's just I want fellowship. These things are not heaven or hell. These things are not heretical. It's just a difference of opinion. It's a difference of view. 
You know, I mean, I go into churches all the time, you know, and I hear things about whatever, you know, the gifts of the spirit, the birth of the church, uh, apostolic offices, uh, eschatology in regards to end times, you know, the communion, baptism, you know, things that I don't necessarily agree on, but I'm not going to focus on the, I'm not going to make those things the focus of my message. Why? Because I don't want to cause them to stumble. I want to have fellowship with them. And that, that's all this is here. Uh, it just makes the ministry easier and fellowship between the two so that it's not hindered. And understand, this whole conversation began over the issue of circumcision as a requirement for salvation. That was ruled out. You don't need to be circumcised to be saved, but there are certain burdens that he talked about in verse number 28 that were considered to be necessary so that the ministry could continue. And what were those burdens? Abstaining from meats that are sacrificed to idols and eating blood and things that have been strangled and fornication. He's saying these certain burdens are necessary. You just need to stay away from these things so that you don't cause a stone and stumbling in regards to your relationship with your Jewish believers. Um, an example of this will be found later when Paul will actually ask Timothy to be circumcised. Did Timothy need to be circumcised? No, he didn't need to be circumcised. But Paul, in an effort to make it easier to reach the Jews, decided it would be better if Timothy got circumcised. And in Acts 16, then they came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and believed, a Jewess, and believed that believed, but his father was Greek, which was well reported of the, by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews that were in the quarters. In other words, it would just make ministry easier. It, it wasn't necessarily a selling out or a compromise. It certainly wasn't salvific. But Paul just said, you know what? It'd just be easier if you got circumcised. It would just open the doors a whole lot smoother as we go about our ministry together. And again, these are just what James called these necessary burdens. Dealing with the scruples of the weak. Doing things that I may become all things to all men that I might win some. Nothing wrong with that. And then notice in verse number 30, and this is where we'll close. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. So now you've got Paul, you've got Barnabas, and you've got Judas, and you've got Silas. And they're all going back to Antioch. This is Antioch in Syria. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. So... Upon sharing this letter that James recommended to be penned from the Jerusalem Council to the believers in Antioch, they received it, found out they were not, they did not have to be placed back under the law via circumcision or any other way. They rejoiced <laughs> because of this. <laughs> so in conclusion... The outcome of the Council of Jerusalem is that both the kingdom and the grace believers are confirmed. And that was the outcome of the Council. 
You remember we read in Galatians 2, 7, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, that's Paul, he's the one that wrote Galatians, and as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. That was the outcome of the Jerusalem Council, that Peter and the other 11 would continue to preach the gospel of the kingdom to the circumcised, which was the Jew, and Paul and Barnabas and those who were with him would continue to preach the gospel of grace to the, to the uncircumcised. That was the outcome of the Council of Jerusalem. So that's what we've studied this week. Monday morning, we're going to pick up in verse number 32. And uh, we're probably going to, hopefully, we'll, we'll wrap up Acts chapter number 15. So anyways, I'm, I apologize for all the problems we had in the beginning with the sound. Thank you, Scott, for bringing and Lori that to my attention. Um, I'll probably go back and edit the video a little bit and the audio recording so that everybody else doesn't have to suffer like we did. Uh, but I hope you enjoy it. Continue to study the Word of God. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. Take the filter off, okay? We all see things based on our perception. If, if I perceive something to be so, I am going to go into it with a closed mind. I am going to look for confirmation. We live in a generation, a society today that no longer listens for information. They don't listen for information. They don't turn on their televisions to receive information. They turn on their televisions to receive confirmation. Don't treat the Bible the same way. Just because this is what you have always been told does not mean that it's true. Okay, when you read the Bible, look at who wrote it. And I'm telling you right now, if it was an apostle, if it was one of the 12, they were writing it to Jewish believers. If it was Paul, he was writing it to Gentile believers. And he does speak to Jews and you need to Look at the pronouns and who Paul is talking to. When Paul uses the pronoun we, many times he's referring to his own Jewish people. And when he uses they, he's referring to the Gentiles. You, we just need to take the filter off. We need to look at who's speaking and who they are speaking to. And that will determine the interpretation, regardless of what you've heard or what you've been taught. I encourage you to do that. It'll revolutionize your spiritual walk with the Lord, I promise you. God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great week. Remember that God loves you, wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for your good.